I hope you love the book of Hebrews. It is, I must admit, probably one of my favorite New Testament books to teach through and to consider. And in this book, we see old and new covenants contrasted. That the old covenant was a shadow. The New Testament covenant, the new covenant is the substance. The old covenant is full of symbols. The new covenant is full of realities. The old covenant was the sacrifices that could not take away sin. The new covenant is summed up in Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and in whom all sacrifices are fulfilled. And so we've come now to a place in chapter 12 that once again contrasts and highlights between those covenants. And remember, this is written to people who may have maybe even just had a fleeting moment of toying with the idea of ditching Jesus in view of the persecutions that were going on in 65 and the early part of 66, when I think this book was probably written, uh, where people were being rounded up and put on trial and abused and killed at Rome and on the Italian continent. And so a few Jewish people could have thought to themselves, you know what? I could just roll myself back into my Jewishness and be saved that way. I don't need to say the name Jesus. I don't need to make the claim uh, to the Messiah. And uh, the response of this author has been a very resounding, it doesn't work that way. The old covenant is done for. It was always planned to become obsolescent or obsolete. And the new covenant was always the way that salvation was going to actually take place. And that new covenant is all about Jesus. And so here comes the contrast. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. And this is just right after we, we were reminded that we all need to have a, a good attitude, a proper, faithful attitude uh, toward God uh, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And don't be like the unrepentant people, that, like Esau, for example. And then he writes this, Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Now, the target audience for this letter are Jewish people. And so Jewish people would immediately recognize here the description of the day of the Ten Commandments being given, where they had been told to gather around the foot of Mount Sinai in Arabia. 
and they were to take care that they did not cross a carefully marked out boundary line. And then they were to wait for the coming of God. And there is a trumpet call and the, and the ground shakes and the rocks are bouncing around on the ground. And then comes the voice of God himself out of the cloud that has descended onto Mount Sinai with lightning flashes and fire rolling around inside of it. And the, the, it says, I am he who is who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods beyond me, and you shall not make for yourselves images of any other gods. You shall not take my name in vain. And then it goes through a whole long list of mostly do-nots, which a lot of the Israelis, fresh out of Egypt, have been habitually engaging in. And so what happens is they are terrified, they are scared, and they call out to Moses and say, Moses, make him stop. Make him not talk to us anymore. You just go up on the mountain. You find out from him what he wants us to do, and then we'll do it. But don't let him talk to us anymore, or we'll die. And so that is the context. If you don't believe me, go back and read it in the book of Exodus. Then the author of Hebrews continues along that line. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. That was the rule about the boundary line. That if one of your sheep that you didn't tie up properly, ran past the barrier, it was to basically be killed at a distance uh, with a slingshot stone and left for dead uh, because it violated the holy zone of God. Indeed, verse 21 says, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So even Moses, who had already experienced a lot of God in intimate form, I mean, he saw the burning bush, remember, even he has his knees wanting to wobble some, wanting to knock, because this is a really scary thing to come into the presence of a living God. Not an idol, but the real thing. And so he says, that's not what you guys have experienced. That was the Old Testament. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So we're talking about coming to the real deal. Now, Mount Zion was a symbolic name for Jerusalem, for the Temple Mount specifically, uh, but it ultimately was a reference to the place where God dwelt in the heavenly realms. 
And then Jerusalem is referred to as the city, the holy city, the city of the living God. But it was not the earthly Jerusalem that we have been called to come to. It is the heavenly Jerusalem, the place where God has and will always reign. And what will we find when we come into that sort of presence? Into innumerable angels in festal gathering. So God is constantly attended by myriads upon myriads of angelic beings. Uh, myriads being ten thousands of ten thousands. So we're talking about millions upon millions, ultimately, of angels. No, nobody knows the ultimate number. Uh, it is massive. And they are there waiting for God to assign them a responsibility. But not just to them. To the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven. Now, when, when God redeemed the Israelis out of Egypt, he referred to them as a group, as collective, as his firstborn. And he even said that from here on out, you need to dedicate your firstborn to me because all firstborn I redeemed. And so what we have here is um, an application of that to every believer, everyone that is named the name of Jesus. They are born again as a firstborn of God. That firstborn was also a way of referring to the heir. And so, you know, Paul, when he was writing, uh, he talked about us being heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. So, You've come to this assembly, this gathering together of the firstborn ones. That means everybody that's saved, who are enrolled in the heavenly realms. You know, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. These are all big deals, but they're outside of our tangible frame of reference. We can't put our hands on these things. We can't see these things with our earthly eyes, but we know they're there by faith. So you haven't come to a physical Mount Sinai with all those scary things. You've actually come to the real deal, the heavenly place of God's reign, where you're enrolled as a member of the firstborn assembly, and you've come to God. You know, He who is the Creator. You've come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Uh, as this book is being written, as it's being read the very first time, all of the saints of old have been moved into the presence of God the Father because their sins have been fully paid for by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And every believer that has passed through death in the 30 years or so since the beginning of the church. They have passed into the presence of God, whether they died by natural means or by accident or by persecution. They've passed into the presence of God. So we, 
as we're thinking about these things are thinking about all of the spirits, the persons who have been made perfect because of them being part of the righteousness of Christ in their own lives. They're part of that group that we are connected to. And you've also come to Jesus, Yoshua, he who is salvation, the mediator of a new covenant. So he is the one that brought the covenant into existence, and he he sanctified it by his own death. Just like Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, and he sanctified it with the blood of bulls and goats, Jesus provided this new covenant with his own blood. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than that blood of Abel. Remember, uh, Abel is the first person effectively who dies for their faith, I guess. Uh, It was because of his righteous religious um, activities that his brother was so upset with him and they got into some sort of altercation and Abel was killed and his blood seeped down into the ground. And when God asked uh, Abel, excuse me, uh, Cain, where's your brother? And he flippantly said, am I my brother's keeper? God's response was, your brother's blood is calling to me from the ground. It's bearing testimony to what you did. And so Jesus' blood speaks volumes more than the blood of the first person to die on planet Earth. Because Jesus' blood opened up a new way into the presence of God the Father. So, because we're not tied into the old covenant with all its physicality, we're tied into the new covenant with all its reality, then we have some instructions to follow through with. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Now, I don't think you should miss out on this reality that God the Father spoke on several occasions during Jesus' ministry, and he bore testimony about him each time. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so that is what is tied up here, is in the Old Covenant, they were warned about keeping God's rules, and it scared them. In the New Covenant, God says, listen to my son. Do what he tells you to do. We need to be paying attention to that voice of God. Because if they didn't get away with blowing God off in the Old Covenant, what makes you think that it would be a good idea to effectively flip God off in the New Covenant? 
by flipping off Jesus, by throwing him under the bus, by tossing him off the cliff, by whatever other way you want to describe uh, marginalizing Jesus as Savior and Lord. Verse 26, still on this idea of you need to be paying attention. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he's promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. You remember back when God appears at Mount Sinai, I told you that him speaking was rattling the ground. It was shaking uh, the ground, and uh, that scared the people. Well, here uh, we are reminded that there is a promise made uh, uh, as a follow-up to that. It's from Haggai. Uh, that God is going to shake the earth again and also the heavens. Verse 27, this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, so shakable things, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So we're talking about the old earth, the old heaven, the old creation, they're going to be shaken away. They're going to disappear in a great sound, in fire, and then they will be instantaneously replaced by a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what the Hebrew writer is thinking about, is that, that transition point at the second coming of Jesus. Verse 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So we need to worship and honor God appropriately. Verse 29, for our God is a consuming God, or a consuming fire. And so don't mess with God effectively. And then that brings us to the last chapter, chapter number 13, which is going to string together a whole bunch of things that we Christians ought to be attending to if we're listening to the voice of God the Father to do the right thing, to live the holy lifestyle, uh, to be like Christ. So verse thir- uh, chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. So we need to be tight with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be committed to them. Verse 2, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So brotherly love are for those that we already have relationship with. Hospitality literally means love of strangers, being concerned about people we don't yet know. Uh, And the reason we're supposed to do that is because we should care about people and we should be thinking that this is a potential brother or sister in Christ in the future. So don't neglect to show hospitality, love, and concern for strangers because sometimes people have ended up having angels show up in their life. And he's probably thinking about examples from the book of Genesis in particular uh, where the, the, the big names in the stories are minding their own business and God sends an angel into their life and they treat them with 
respect, and then they get a special blessing and message out of the situation. Now, I'm not going to tell you that it's likely that you'll end up getting an angel to show up on your doorstep, but I know for a fact, if you treat everyone you come to contact with in a respectable fashion, you will make some new friends, and some of those will be new born-again friends because you will help them come to Jesus Christ. Verse 3, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are in the body. Now, this is, I know, used as a prison ministry theme verse a lot, but I want to tweak it a little bit and help you understand the people that they're thinking about here are those that are in prison because of their faith, specifically. Now, we still need to show love and concern for those who are incarcerated for all sorts of sinful things because we have, we have a solution for their problem. We have Jesus. Uh, but here, it's specifically thinking about you know, those that are going through the tough times because of their faith. We need to be thinking about them. Um, I, I think about the voice of the martyrs information that goes out all the time. Pray for those folks, and if you get the opportunity maybe to help out, then we should do that. Verse number four, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now, we already addressed this issue once pretty strongly. Uh, marriage is between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Uh, it was designed by God, and that is where there is honor, when that is the type of lifestyle uh, the couple is living. Uh, God will, he will mete out his justice uh, for those that deviate from those plans, from those intentions. And so my recommendation is, don't do it. Verse number five, keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, and then we have a quote from uh, Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, and then we have a quote uh, from the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 118, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Uh, so contentment is part of the Christian lifestyle and not getting caught up in greed and in uh, I will get myself rich uh, no matter what it costs anybody else. That's never a good attitude. Um, verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So we got some things mixed together here. The leaders are those who are preaching and teaching. And uh, they need to be attended to in their leadership. Uh, one of the things uh, that you should consider here, 
is that a lot of the people that were the, f- the famous leaders of the early church are dead by now. Um, I think, according to tradition, all of the apostles, with the exception of John the Apostle, are probably dead by the time early 66 rolls around, and I think that's when this letter is being written. Uh, so the outcome of their way of life is they were faithful even unto death, and so Jesus is going to give them the crown of life. So you guys need to follow the same sort of devoted path. And then the reminder is, the reminder for the entire book, is Jesus is everything. Jesus is not negotiable. Uh, He's the same yesterday, today, forever. Uh, He has always been, he is, and he will always be. Uh, He was the Lamb of God crucified before the foundation of the world. Uh, He is the one who will sit as King of kings and Lord of lords into eternity. And so you've got to stay with Jesus. And you do that through paying attention to the leaders that have taken that same sort of stance and not get sucked into all sorts of false teaching. And it is clear that one of the false teachings that he highlights here is Judaizing. Uh, That is, insisting that Gentiles have to convert to Judaism or they can't have Jesus. They can't be saved. And we still have Judaizers today that insist that uh, Old Testament laws must be adhered to uh, by uh, Gentile believers. That is, you, you have to keep kosher, perhaps, uh, or you definitely have to keep the Sabbath day. Uh, you have to keep the high holy days. And all of that is false teaching. It is demonstrably false teaching. And there is no room uh, for that in the church. Uh, Now, in the last minute that we have, since he was talking about food, you know, because some people were insisting you can only eat kosher food, uh, he then um, starts talking about the situation in the temple, uh, where the priests ate some of the food that they were offering as sacrifice to God. And so we're going to set the ground, uh, we're going to set some ground here for tomorrow. Uh, and uh, read verse 10 it says, We, meaning we Christians, have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So we are the priests of the new covenant. The priests of the old covenant can certainly eat their sacrificial portion. But until they become part of the new covenant, they can't eat from the new covenant. 